Thank you, Sushi and the Banshees. Should have had uh, Stompin' Tom Connors bring us into this one. Hello out there. We're on the air. We're podcasting tonight. Look at the uh, uh, wood panel room that we have here in Boston for uh, RD5, Rinky Dinking 5. We're uh, multimedium here today. Daryl Ray, known as the Razor Boy. Mike Heike from DallasStars.com. Manning the camera on the other side of things as he should be. Our production whiz, the millennial Jeff Totes. And although our boy is not on the trip, Tom Holy from Dallas Stars Communications Department, he has texted in a long-winded episode of Holy Puckaganda. But before we get to anything, let's talk about what is going on (laughs) here. Okay? We are in the midst of of climate change and uh, issues. We're going to get political today in the uh, podcast uh, on Rinky Dinky. These are jelly beans, and they are individually wrapped, which you like and he likes, and I think is absolute farcical overkill. Well, one, they're jelly belly jelly beans, the finest well, jelly, the jelly bean, right? Jelly exactly. Bean and two, there's a need to employ the masses and give production more jobs. And I think individually wrapping so jelly it, beans. You think it's a job creator and not a sanitation? No, look at the con- sanitary issue. Look at the economy. Look sanitation? at it. Uh, it could be all of it. Yeah, it could Every, be everybody's on strike Ooh, that here. Was licorice. Everybody's on strike here in Boston. So look at the you know, have victory green ones. I know. Look at today. that. Look at that. It's amazing. I mean, anyway, you know, spurring the economy. Let's move along. Let's be uh, in our uh, epigrammatically excellent uh, way that we do pull off the podcast. Let's uh, let's lead off with with uh, foreign territory. Okay. Since th- we're on the road, we've been on the road, and our little stars all of a sudden are experiencing a winning road trip which we have not experienced many in previous seasons. We documented that last week uh, when we were emanating from Montreal. But this, this has been wonderful. They've won three of four now, all of a sudden. Uh, they had won three of the previous uh, 34, maybe? Something, I, yeah. I don't know. It was, it was, it was a while. It was at yeah, least 20, it probably. While. So a couple of goalie wins, and then they went nuts uh, last night. We're doing this on Sunday in Boston. Uh, just an unfettered uh, takedown in overtime of the defending Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. So just you and your, and your sources and resources, what have you thought of this week? Um, what came to mind was uh, Jim Montgomery's thought that the process is more important than the results. I don't want to get wrapped up in the results, he said, you know, about a week ago. And uh, now that we've gone through this, I'm thinking, you know, the results are kind of important, too. (laughs) You know, I mean, they they really do feed each other. And I think what happened is we did get a couple of goaltending wins. Do you think that's hedging a little bit, though, when when you get coach speak and they're leading in? They're like, you know... It doesn't really matter whether there are wins or losses. Right. We're just going to move along with it. We're going to do the right thing, and this yeah. will eventually work out for uh, us. No, they, obviously they believe that, too. But at the same time, you know what I found interesting? Not to cut you off, no, it's but okay. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> what is, most guys don't head into a road trip, especially an extended road trip, and just lay it out there that we got to go 500 on right. this trip. I haven't heard that from a head coach nope. in a long time. Next game. We just got to think about the next period, next game. And he just went, not three and three. It's imperative for our place in the standings, for our place in the season. And I'm, I'm, when he said it, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> but Yeah, because, I mean, for the most part, what you get out of coaches is some variation of, you know, we need this to be a, a good trip. Uh, this is an important trip right. for us. But never – do they ever lay down just a flat out, okay, well, six games, we need to win three. Right. It's imperative that we win three. But he said that. They've already done that. So now they go into a, a back-to-back with house money. Yeah. You know? And, and it, I know how this goes from a player perspective. You go into every road trip. And I always think the first game of a road trip is ultimately important. Right. Because it kind of sets it up when you're going to be together for a while. And they 
they basically just big wet one in in Detroit to start it off and rallied themselves. Yeah. Now, I think we're going to look back. We may look back at the end of this season at that first period in Montreal as a very important 20-minute segment of Dallas Stars 2018-19 just because by the by the width of red posts that could have went down a yes. really bad path that night and continued what went on in Detroit instead they hit posts and it stayed it was almost like there was a force field in behind Ben Bishop and then stops that penalty shot stars score a couple of goals yep. and they haven't really looked back since then now they've relied pretty heavily on upper end net minding but uh, I felt last night's game was different than the first two. You, I, I, the five twenty three mark is what I pointed out in my story. Is that when that building went crazy and they went to the video board and they fired everybody up and and the defending Stanley Cup champions are like, all right, here we go. All right, now we're going to get serious. It's three to three and we're about to win this game. And the stars basically controlled the game from that point on. Uh, Como with a big hit, a couple of shots on man, goal. Man, there were some big. Oh, hits. well, see, that's like what that I was, was. There was some man hockey going on. I last thought John night. Klingberg was getting tossed around like a rag. You know what? And I said it on the broadcast last night that one of the things that has always impressed me about John because he's 170 pounds, right. sinewy 170, <laughs> but he guys take especially on the road. Guys take major, major runs at him. I remember a few years back, Winnipeg when they were in their full bullydom. Yeah would just throw it into John's corner, go after him, and try to drill him into the 16th row. And a lot of times they'd catch a pretty large chunk of John Klingberg. Yes. And he would shake it off and not shy away no. from going in to retrieve a puck in that corner again on the very next shift. Like you, I don't think you can intimidate John Klingberg. Physically, well, certainly can't mentally. No. I know that. Well, when you talk to him, it's interesting because he doesn't know that he's 175 pounds. No. He really does. And you're looking at him going like, you're not just skinny, you're bony. And he's just like, no, I, you know, I can do this. And I talked to him last night and he said, you know, they're always going to come after me. And what I need to understand is I have to make the play. So if I get hit making the play, if I get hit making the pass, all I care about is that I made the pass. And that one shift, when he got hit three times, they got hemmed in. It was the second period, so he really couldn't get the change. He felt bad. Like, he was like, I didn't do my job. Then. When they got scored on? Yeah. Yeah. And he was like... Connolly's goal. Right. And he's like, they were going after him. And he We was, were really breaking down last we game. Were breaking down last game. But it was, it's interesting because I do believe, and I'll go back to that 523, is that they had a chance to fall apart there. I mean, this is a team that just went through four rounds of the playoffs, like yeah. the highest intensity hockey ever. So when you get to that place where a 3-3 game is on the line in the third period, that's nothing to them. Now you look at the other side of the ice, that team has not been through those situations in the playoffs. So for them to step up and be the better team for the last whatever that was, you know, eight minutes because of the three minutes of overtime, that's a pretty big step. That, that is a hard thing for a defending champ, though, because every night you are getting that yeah. from the other side because there's a target on you, whether you're – and I think sometimes, especially when you're – in their building yes you know banners up there and everyone's rocking the red and whatever they do in washington now and and the the, the intensity th this is not a league now that you can go through the motions like really good teams back in the day championship teams could get away with playing a period you know you could play a period and still win the yeah. game and you can't do that now i think in their minds they 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 want to win that right. way because they, they know how hard it is. Yeah. They experienced it. And they're like, I can't, I can't get, go that hard every single night. And that's where they get challenged. And I thought that's where the Stars really challenged yeah. the Caps in that one was, how hard do you guys want to play tonight? Because we're, we're going to play this hard. We might not get the breaks and whatever, but right. we are going to play this hard. And for long stretches, it looked like the Washington Capitals were like, nope, not tonight. We're not... We're going to try to win this other way, but we're not going. We're not going that way. And for whatever reason, that goaltender just has a major mind fart when it comes to the Dallas Stars. Like he can barely finish games against the yeah. Stars. Now he made a couple of pretty large stops on 
And, our, and his defense. Our poor Tyler Sagan in overtime. Yeah. And his defense and forwards didn't help him out. They, they coughed. No, the, the and o, I, Ovechkin wasn't very good last night in all things Alex Ovechkin. But uh, maybe some of that was what was going on on the Stars' perspective. Yeah. And and uh, so they get, you know, the, the kids were all right in that one. I, I was as shocked probably as Jason Dickinson that he was on the ice <laughs> in overtime. Just because... For the most part, if you're a fourth-line center, you're probably not seeing no. the sheet when it's three-on-three. Three and all of a sudden, there he is out there with Radic Foxa and, and Essa Lindell. And boom, turnover, back of the net, happy plane ride to Beantown. Yep. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Tyler Seguin as the uh, podcast moves along here. But and we're we're expecting much better musical interludes in between our subjects today than what we heard on the last podcast, which was weak sauce coming out of the production value. So up ahead, uh, the stars obviously learning how to win and win on the road. Let's talk about an area of the country that knows a thing or two about winning championships. That's next. We sit here in a boardroom in Beantown and Rinky Dinkin' Five, and we come to a city that knows a thing or two about winning. Two, almost a, a regurgitation reaction from the rest of the country now because they've won so much. But it's been well documented since 2000, really since the Dallas Stars won their Stanley Cup in 1999. Boston area teams have taken 11 championships. 11 championships. They're pretty good. Five Super Bowls with the Patriots, 01, 03, 04, 14, and 16. The Red Sox, 04, 07, 13, and apparently they upended the LA Dodgers just, just recently. weeks ago. Uh, one <laughs> NBA championship, that was in 08, on the parquet. And one Stanley Cup with the Bruins in 2011. That is a staggering run of not, not just good teams. Right. I mean championship-quality teams ever since the millennium. Like, we, as a fan, if your city gets one in 10 years, two in 10 years, you're usually pretty happy. Stars got one. They're still living on it. The Mavericks got one. They're still living on it. And honestly, everybody's like, yeah, that's great. We got our one. And these guys are like, nah, we'll take five. Do you think one's fed the other here locally in yes. some way? Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll make a shameless plug. Uh, my boss, Jim Lights, and I have had this discussion before where he truly believes that from a media standpoint, the best thing in the world is for everybody to win. Because, uh, you know, we've talked about, well, you know, well, the Mavericks have been down when the Stars have been good. And he goes, I don't believe that. He goes, I want the Mavericks to be good and the Stars to be good at the same time. And it does feed each other. It feeds the expectation of the fan. It feeds the expectation of the media, which can have a, a role in keeping the bar high for an organization. And I, I Keeping do. the bar full for the city as well. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Hey, hey. Uh, boom. But yeah, I do. I do believe. Put, keep the bar high. That's what I, I say. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I do. I, I think there's a, a different vibe in the city. And, uh, you know, uh, what is it? The tide raising all boats. Yep. I think that, that happens too, since we're right here on the shores of the Atlantic. Just, just think of this, though. Predating this run of championships and banner raising in the Boston area from from 1986 until 2001 when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl New England teams uh had had won a champion or been in in uh championship uh games or finals only three times right so the the Bruins I witnessed uh, both with the Bruins when I was with Edmonton. That was when it was the just think of how nuts that was. So we're here in Boston. It was the old Boston Garden, right? And 
I'm in the stands as I usually was in in uh, playoff time in a suit, but but ready to be called. At oh, any at any time, at any time. <laughs> and the I, I think it was, I, I believe it was when there was uh, the old. We used to have the old double headers at the Garden that couldn't handle one game, let alone right. two in one day. So Larry Bird and the Celtics, I think, played in the afternoon, and then we played at night, and the lights went out partway through. Like there was a power outage. Yeah. I remember sitting in the stands and you had all those tough Southies in the stands and they're just giving it. It was me and Jeff Bukaboom, Mo LeMay, uh, Normie Lacombe maybe. A few of us, the Black Aces, were sitting up in there. But they knew who we were. The only guys sitting in the lower bowl in suits because there was no press box in that at, at the Garden. And they're just giving it to us, right? And we're ignoring them. What are you going to do, get in a fight in the stands? And then the lights went out. And I remember, and Book's tough, and he's six foot five, and he looked at me, and he's like, "Let's get out of here." <laughs> <laughs> it's got, so it's got to be someplace under the stands that we, we can hide. We take off. <laughs> we take off. We make a beeline to get down to the to the dressing room, and we get down there, and I'm talking with Fierzy, Grant Fury play, playing in the game, and he had all his gear off, and he he put dry underwear on, and we're out near the rink. You know, he's about as unflappable as any goaltender in the history of this game. And he's like, well, I don't know if we're going to play or not. Are we going to play? I mean, we're in the middle of a Stanley Cup final, right? But the league, in their infinite wisdom, just called that game. And we went back to uh, Edmonton. And it was like they, they made a decision right there. So we go back to Edmonton, and they won. They swept the series. Yeah. Just – Boom, and they played three of the four games in Edmonton. <laughs> it was like, how, do, how does that happen? Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, obviously, was uh, Peter Klima and the long overtime and what have you with them. And then I think the Patriots went to the Super Bowl in, like, 96. Does that sound right? Bill Parcells, maybe? Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. Like, they, they were not sniffing championships. No for that long and then all of a sudden it, it got started and it, it has to be it, you can't you can't sit here now in 2018 and look back and say that one didn't feed the other didn't right. feed the or put pressure on the other or whatever it was but man that is that is quite a run yeah we come close to it in in dallas at all no what about the 90s three super bowls right Cowboys won in 93, 94, and then again with Barris Switzer in 96, which was just the afterglow of Jimmy. Right. Uh, at least that's what we are led to believe. Stars won in 99. But, you know, during that stretch, they, they went to a conference final in 98. Yep. Stanley Cup 99, back to the final in 2000. 2000. It was a really nice run. Pretty good little run. Uh, the Rangers... Do we do you count West titles? No. You know what's funny is that the Rangers with those two World Series more recently, but I mean that's a strange. Twenty ten and twenty eleven. Yeah, now you're talking twenty years. And then the Mavs won 10. in twenty eleven, right. right? So twenty eleven was a semi. Yep. I don't think we were very good in twenty eleven, were we? Mm. No. The, we won. Actually, we did win in twenty eleven because Tom Gallardi bought the team. That's true. Yeah, there you go. Right yeah. in November of twenty eleven. So yeah, the uh, the long uh, fight with bankruptcy ended there, and we the stars were crowned not bankrupt. <laughs> if we were in Nashville, we would have put a banner. That's up. That's right. It that. would have been perfect. The, uh, <laughs> so are we? Just to wrap this up, do you think we're we're inching closer to maybe all these teams in Dallas? Yeah. No. How far away are we? A lot. Are we? Yeah, I think the Rangers... Way to poop on this Sorry parade. about that. The Rangers took a step back to get into that new stadium. True. And yeah. it'll be three or four years, I think, before they really So their window closed, that window that Correct. they had. The Mavericks, I think, really thought that they were going to be ready to jump in with Doncic and uh, Dennis Smith Jr. They've hit a real wall so right well, now. Well, not, not to player personnel direct the Dallas Mavericks, but they... And, hey, look, Dirk's a special human yeah. being in that. But you fall in love with your players like that, man, you pay a price yeah. when you hang on to them instead of peddling them yep. and getting assets in return. Uh, but, hey. It's what it is. Yeah. And then the Stars, I, I do believe that they are on the fastest path. I mean, depending yeah. on what the Cowboys can do. The window, the window opened, like, what, three years ago? And it 
it's just a crack. It's letting a breeze in. Well, and again, you can it go back. needs to get cranked a little more open. And a lot of this depends on the Miro Haskinens and the Jason Dickinsons. Oh, my God. If these guys that have game to, against the Caps is any indication, we're going to be okay with Miro. And, and then so then you sit there and go, well, if you have a number yeah. one defenseman and John Klingberg's your 1A. Yeah. So cow, And the Cowboys, who knows, right? right? But, well, and they've, they've got such a difficult decision with Dak. Uh, as far as I mean, it's all the NFL's all about the quarterback. Look at us, multi-sport. Oh, we are multi-sport today. Uh, but I mean, any if, thoughts, totes on any of this? No, he's just but if, jelly if, beans. If one at a time. If Dak can step up, and then they give him the whatever the requisite twenty million dollar contract that a number one quarterback deserves, great. If they give him that contract and he mm. doesn't, then that's bad. And if he doesn't deserve it, now you're starting all over again with a new quarterback. Making podcast money. Ugh. He's raking that in. <laughs> Speaking of making a lot of money, they paid uh, former Boston Bruin in the summer. Up next, we're going to revisit the Tyler Sagan trade to Big D. La, 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 wait till I give my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I woke, I smit that on a necklace. Mike Heika and the Razor Boy. Along with the millennial, no Tom Holy. All rinky-dinking from Boston. Where Tyler Sagan broke in with the Boston Bruins. Won himself a Stanley Cup, one of those we were just speaking of, in 2011. And then he was dealt to the Dallas Stars on July 4th, 2013. And I, I thought, what are we, six years this summer? Something like that, Is that yeah. what it is? Removed from that? Where are they now, the particulars? Because this was, this was a earth-shattering blockbuster deal when it went down. Yep. And the two general managers, Shirelli and Nil, were the uh, major cogs. I remember the, what was it, Behind the Bee? Is that their thing? Yeah. And they were, uh, they were throwing some bombs at our little boy Tyler <laughs> on his way He's out. He's a young, immature Tyler oh, Sagan. Oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> But, He's matured since then. Uh, it, was, it was something else. But uh, one of those guys is now the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. He's made, made another big trade, didn't yes. he? <laughs> yes. Uh, Shirelli's now in Edmonton yeah. with the Oilers. And Jim, obviously, with our, our Dallas Stars. And Tyler, in his tenure with the Stars, would be what in your mind? As far as what level of... Just what, what has he been? I think he... Could, you can arguably say he's the best player on the team. I know Jamie's a captain, and Jamie brings a certain attitude and, and a leadership that the team has to follow. But if you watch game in, game out, what the person contributes on the ice in 200-foot hockey, I think Tyler Sagan's the best player on the team. And clearly one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what he is. He wins his face-offs. He is committed to defense. Where he, is he in points since then? It'd be Almost a point a game. He's got to be top six, I think. Is it I think six? Jamie's third and Tyler's six going okay. into this season. Yeah. Uh, so pretty damn good. And missed a little bit of time with yep. injury. Now, that is the one issue is he's missed a lot of playoffs and postseason because of injuries and just because of the stars. Yeah. So he really doesn't have that playoff impact that maybe other superstars do. But during the regular season, he's right there in the, you know. I remember when he first came to the stars and I would talk to him and not a lot. I think he was he was jilted a little bit and he was gun shy, I think, with the media for all the right reasons at that time and had a lot to prove and man he, I mean he's he was a great player from day one yeah. in Dallas like a great player he and Jamie meshed immediately he fit right into Lindy's system you know you go back to November of 2013 and even with the Buffalo Sabres hanging nine on Ottawa last night the last player in the National Hockey League to register a six point game is Jamie Benn yeah it hasn't happened since November of 2013 when he and Tyler just Ginsu knifed the Calgary Flames together. Yeah. The Flames, the Jets, remember those games? He, he, they were just yeah. like, and it wasn't once a year. It was yeah. two or three times they'd get three points here, four points there. But, I mean, he's done, I think he's done wonderful things off the ice, you know, where he's matured a little bit. 
uh, as you mentioned before, he's got his own clothing line and he's into that. Uh, he's in an ugly gold drought right now. I hope he's going to get out of it. But man, it's weird to see Tyler Sagan go 10 games without pumping a puck past a netminder. Uh, but he, you know, he went from sort of a frisky young guy with a very veteran Bruins team to uh, having to hold his own and be a focal point night in and night out with the Stars. Took his game to a completely different level under Hitch. Really did uh, the prodding and the expectations of of Hitchcock, and he met every one of them last year. And and uh, now you got to, as you said, you you got a well-rounded, pretty complete center iceman in yeah. this league now. I think the ne- obviously the next step for him is getting it done when it matters the most. Right. And part of that, I guess, is just getting the team into the playoffs. Yeah, and making sure he's healthy. Yeah, you and know. staying healthy. Maybe he's too fit. Maybe he's too sinewy. <laughs> Doesn't have enough I remember, body fat. I remember when they used to say that about guys that had 2% body fat. Right. It's like, well, it's like a, it's like a piano uh, chord. You know, it's way too tight, too taut. And if it's too taut, a lot of times you got to have a little bit of that corner muscle. They called it, you know, a little flab on there. Give. That, you sounds, need some that give. sounds like an old goalie talking there. Well, there's a lot of flab <laughs> on, especially on old goalies. So the, he and Rich Peverly came to Dallas yep. and Rich has had an indelible impact on the organization. Yes. First as a player and the type of player he was yep. in person for not very long, unfortunately, because of that heart episode that he had at American Airlines Center. And that's going to obviously be a memory for him and for everyone that was involved in that uh, forever and ever and ever. And ultimately, it ended his career. And he's found a way, smartly, by Jim Nell to hire him and keep him on board in a player development. Yeah, and you know it's funny about Rich because I've talked to him a lot about this. He wants to talk about he wants to be a player. Like I mean, as much as I think it's important for him to help uh, everybody who needs help with with heart health, uh, he wants to be a player. He wants to be remembered as a player. And when you look at that trade and the potential impact of Rich Peverly, that was a great throw-in. I mean, if you're just talking a throw-in, that was a guy who could who could have really helped this yeah. team had he not gone through what he went through. Uh, what are those e? What are they called? The Things in the arenas. Oh the yeah, the, the Electra. Uh, yeah, EKG. Yeah, that you can shock. Not somebody. EKG. No, no. the. Yeah. EADs. EADs. ADDs. No, ADD is a completely different thing. It's, That's a, mil- it's a millennial deficit thing. Deficit disorder. <laughs> That's what you people have. AED. AEDs. Yeah. yeah. And that that's an enduring impact of yeah. that as well, along with Yuri Fisher, who had the same type of thing go on with the Detroit Red Wings yeah. uh, and now there's there's now a doctor within 10 what is it 10 or 20 feet of the yeah, bench the it yeah. has to be and those AEDs are uh, in the hallway are within yeah and the paramedics are a few minutes of they're, uh, they're ready to go being administered I think a lot of schools have them now too and I think Rich has done a bunch of stuff uh, in that regard so there you go. The guys that went the other way, our boy Louis Erickson, who's run into just a myriad of uh, concussion issues, yep. and he is currently in Vancouver ushering Elias or Elias Pedersen into the world. He's having no issues whatsoever no. Uh, assimilating himself to the National Hockey yeah. League. What a talent he is. Same draft as our boy Miro Haskinen. Pretty good draft right now. Yes. Uh, Matt Frazier was another one. He played 28 games for the Bruins. He's in Austria, yep. has been there for the last couple of years. Riley Smith. I like him. I, you know what's funny is to watch his development and what he has been able to do in Vegas, I think he's a really good player. He's a really good defensive player as well as he can chip in a goal or two. You might, you might like him. They did not like him they here. They did not like him at all. And, I, I mean, they – the veterans of that championship team essentially ran him out of Boston yeah. for whatever reasons, on ice, off ice stuff combined. Um, he just did not fit. Yeah. It happens. You know, you get a guy and they just don't fit the way and they don't well, that listen. Well, Tyler. And maybe they don't listen. Yeah. Those uh, Toronto-born uh, forwards, you just, they didn't fit in there. But he went, he went down to Florida and he scored 25 and 15 there. And then they... 
exposed him to the expansion draft. Five million bucks. I think they just thought he was overpaid. He went out to well, he went out to Vegas, scored twenty two, and they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final last year. So, and I'm going to defend the Bruins on this one because one, they had two really good centers. So if Tyler Sagan was going to have an impact there, it was probably going to be on the right wing. Not to say he wouldn't have. Uh, but two, they got Louis Erickson, who I think you could have argued at the time was the Dallas Stars' best player. Mm. And then they also got Riley Smith tossed in, who you know was a guy who you could say mm-hmm. had, had the potential of being an okay player. And so when you look at that, what they thought was going to help their team, I get what they were doing. The problem is, and this is the same with Edmonton and Taylor Hall, you, if you're going to trade Tyler Sagan, you really need to get something good coming back. And I'm not sure they got the good that they wanted. I'll, just, I'll never forget when Brendan Morrow got scratched for him in Edmonton so that Riley Smith could play. <laughs> I'll never forget that game. Uh, and then the last guy in the deal, uh, speaking of, uh, of guys who were trading or guys that impacted our former captain, Joe Morrow, because uh, they were traded for one another <laughs> after, right? <laughs> Joe right. Morrow and, and Brendan, Brendan Morrow. Morrow. But uh, Joe Morrow played 55 games with Boston, a little bit with Montreal. He's in Winnipeg now. And, Still hanging on. And play, yeah, yeah. And, and plays. So uh, I, would, I would venture this uh, six years later. The stars won that deal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you're, you're a wise I man, think Darryl, be, right? You're a you wise know, a lot man. A of people maybe don't don't parse it that way, but I've looked this one up and down. I've I've really laid into this one, and I, I'm I'm okay laying my cards on the table six years later and stating stars won the uh, Tyler Sagan trade. You got something on your mind, don't you? Oh, did you want to? Uh, you know what? Up next, we're going to read the text from Tom Holy. That's all. We won't even discuss it. I'll just read it, and then we'll move on. That's next. I'm not as jovial or anywhere near as articulate as Tom Holy, the Vice President of Communications for the Dallas Stars. But he uh, sent this today. It's all about Devin Shore. He's having himself quite a uh, awakening. Yes. And with nine points in his first 13 games, Devin Shore is on pace for a 57-point season, says Tom Holy. If he plays all 82 games, which he pretty much does. Why would he not? <laughs> I know. Played 82 <laughs> two years in a row. This is his third full season. Tom writes, it got me thinking. If he kept up this pace, where would that put him amongst third-year players that began their NHL career with the Dallas franchise? If he stays on a 57-point pace, it would put him 11th in franchise history of players in their third year that started their career with the franchise. Of those 10 above him, eight came from the Minnesota days. Since the Stars moved to Dallas in 1993, the only two homegrown players to have more than 57 points in their third season are Jamie Benn. It's a good one. And the aforementioned Louis Erickson. Wow. Both of these guys had 63 points in their third full season. Benn's coming in 11-12 in 71 games. Erickson's coming in the 08-09 season when he played all 82. Shore had 65 points, 24 goals, 41 assists for 65 points in his first two full seasons. Jimmy had 97. Louis posted 50. So he's right in between the bookends of two outstanding former stars on one side, or former star, and current captain of the franchise. When you were reading that text... You sounded like Casey Kasem reading a yeah. request. <laughs> a long-distance request. This one comes from Tom Holy, who writes, Dear Razor. Anyway, that's Holy propaganda for another week. So you and the Millennial have uh, team roped this week. And before we get into politics, because this will be released on Midterm Tuesday, and we'll end it with a political roundtable here we should have just had face the nation (laughs) 
Uh, go ahead. Pick up your microphone there, Totsi Magotsi. Check, check. Do we have to, is that, do we have to run your intro? We'll run it right now. Totally. Totes Magotes. Cool. Okay, we're back. <laughs> producing on the fly. Anyway, I'll tell you what, you two take over. I'm going to listen because listening's a big part of podcasting. Yes. But as I'm listening, I'm going to eat more individually wrapped jelly beans. Save them. They're so good. Um, so we're on a road trip right now with a lot of great team related stuff. Look at me, stuff. I'm killing whales and dolphins right now <laughs> with all this plastic. Recycle that, will you, no, Daryl? I'm going to kill the ocean. <laughs> He's going to walk right down to the bay and toss it in. A lot of great team-related storylines. And it's great how those are built up by the broadcast specifically with these teases and in-game looks. How much as a player are you cognizant of these things when you're on the bus to the game, when you're in the room pregame? How much are you thinking about the stuff we're talking about on broadcast and building up as the entire storyline of the game? Cognizance, a big boy word, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well done. Finishing up, I ate three at once with the plastic on. I'm saving the environment. <laughs> uh, you know, my playing days were a long time ago, Totsi Magotsi. But there is a practice around the National Hockey League that is old, as old as uh, per diem, I believe, where if you have any ties to the team that you're playing, and this happens at home, not just on the road, uh, you're expected to toss a little change into the uh, kitty for the game-winning goal score. I don't know why, and this bugged me as a player, I don't know why it was always for the game-winning goal. Like, what if that's got nothing to do right. with... Right. What if you what beat if you're the, the team 7-1? <laughs> what if, yeah, what if you shut them out and they outshot you 55-15? But the guy that scored the goal is going to get the cash. Now, in reality... It usually ends up on a bar tab somewhere after with everyone right. involved in it. Uh, but that's, that, that's where you uh, research to know who has some kind of uh, past with that franchise. When, when you're talking about things like um, the first time back against a team or whatever, I mean, yeah, the, people are very, very aware of that. And I think it does... It, it does matter to players when they're going back and playing against a team like that. Um, or, like, even a game like we had in Washington. Like, there's an awareness. Yeah. There's, there's, a different, there's a different awareness and preparedness. I mean, the season's long. It's 82 yeah. games long. Right. And there are some games within the campaign that just mean more than others. Well, it's funny. I mean, I think on this trip alone – You've got Radulov going back to Montreal. I mean, he can't do anything, but when it's going up against the Canadians, you know, he turns into Superman and gets right back on the ice. Uh, Val, I thought, uh, against Washington, and maybe this was because of who he was playing with, but he was also playing against two pretty big Russian names that he knows, and I think that may have inspired him to be a yeah, little he, bit better. Uh, him and Kuznetsov, he and I think. Kuznetsov just missed one another over yeah. there, though, right? I don't think they played, played with, with each other. Another. But it's Ovi, too. You but know, they were close, same hometown, yeah. right? And so and, I think that yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you, you go back to Toronto and those guys there and Devin yeah. Shore, I know he wanted to have a big game there and for him to score that goal was huge. And so you look at things like that and you do think they're human and you know, they, I think they do. I just remember that the nowadays is more free agency than anything. Back yeah. in the day, it was always trades. Yep. Oh my God. That was so much fun before the games. revenge game. Just yes. And, and just what was said in the room, you know, leading up to it, because we talked about the elephant in the room a week ago. And a lot of times, depending on the individual, you had to kind of gauge how deep you could pierce mm -hmm. with shots before the game and that. But ultimately, it boiled down to these guys didn't want you. Right. <laughs> they did not want you. Yeah. And you, you're almost like fluffing the guy into a rage to go out there and everyone understands that the, he's our guy now and we want yeah. to do everything in our power to make sure that we help him stick it up an orifice of the other side. 
And you want beast mode. I mean, we talk about that yeah. with Jamie all the time. Yeah. If if somebody goes in there and makes him mad, you're like, all right, now we're talking. Darren Hatcher. Remember uh, the Daryl Ray line, Daddy's Home. If you uh, got him in that place, he became a different player. Poking the bear. Same thing with Chara that we'll yeah. see here in Boston. You can let him quietly go through a game, but you're talking about an individual that can throw up, what, 25 pull-ups? With 260 pounds. Rides his bike to the rink in the wintertime. At age 40. <laughs> Whatever is he it is. 41 two, two, yeah. Pretty crazy. Does that answer your question? I don't even know if uh, I answered it. More or less. I actually have a follow-up question. What were you talking about? You just wanted to work teases and stuff into it, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, just broadcast related. I'll, I'll put it. Th- th- here's one thing, though, with that. I, I don't think today's player watches much of what we do on exactly. the television side. Yeah, they don't. They, they just, they don't. Like, I, I read a thing the other day with Zetterberg. There was a big, long article about Henrik Zetterberg in Detroit. First time he'd spoken since retiring because right. his back gave out on him. And he was saying that I watch way more hockey now than I ever did when I was playing. Yeah. Which is way different than 20 years ago when guys on an off day watched hockey. A lot of them yeah. watched hockey. They would go somewhere and watch hockey together. And they just don't do that anymore. And I think part of the reason for that is there is so much video that they're forced to watch on yeah. a daily basis. Like, look at on our plane. After the game, there's Kelly Forbes, our outstanding uh, video coach, up and down that aisle with iPads. And those iPads have been preloaded during the game with every one of those players' shifts. Yeah, each individual one. It's amazing when they you watch the They just go back process. there and watch their own shifts. The whole game. And that's, I guess, a little bit narcissistic. But yeah. at the same time, it's, it's how they uh, process whatever or decompress after a game. Well, I do think you, like, you, it, when it's happening, you may see it differently than when you can remove yourself and watch it from the broadcast. Yeah. And you get, raz- you get they, razors they, <laughs> analysis going with it, I too. Don't. You know, and I, I just, sometimes I think they, you know, like, Tyler comes up to me last night and he's like, he's, he's like, do you have an extra sleep aid on you? Because I said on the broadcast, he's going to need a sleep aid tonight after he missed those three in overtime. So, you know, volume up on some of them. I, th- I asked other guys, though, and they don't, they, yeah. a lot of them just watch the clips. They don't listen to what we're saying, which is probably a better way to do it. But I, I think they get, they get so much hockey. And the coaches, too. Yeah. I mean, they sit there and just their eyeballs are fried on video and watching this and watching that and then putting clips together they they watch way more hockey than the players do yeah like just games and that but there's a breaking point with that too i think as an old man too i've enjoyed the millennial culture in that there was a time when i would sit down and watch a three-hour game but now if i can watch the highlight show and pick up the four goals and yeah but that's five minutes then it's great you're not getting younger you're not turning into a millennial you're just friggin lazy (laughs) that can be too what was your follow-up one follow-up question to you as a former player is it more fun to win on the road than at home because talking, oh. talking to friends who played college football they said when you score a touchdown in the fourth to go up by 21 to put the game away and you see their fans heading for the exit that's better than any standing ovation from your home crowd how do you feel about that yeah I, you know what I, I i mean my own personal just because of the position i played i would agree because right. you have way more opportunity to impact wins and losses on the road as a goaltender than you do at home. I think I have no data to back that up, but there's nothing better than hearing people back in the day, Daryl, (laughs) Daryl, because you know that you're in their kitchen and they're trying to get to you. You know, Nashville has this wonderful uh, environment now they really do in there i i as a player nowadays i would relish going into nashville and shutting their hillbilly cake holes <laughs> there I, I really would well it's like russell in chicago when those people were going so crazy it was yeah. like oh you think you're cool here antoine russell's going to show you what yeah cool well is. i think but i think players like that you know uh pat verbeek steve ott antoine russell those are the type of guys the black hatters yes that that just that's oxygen to them yeah. is going into the lion's den right uh, at home 
there, there, there are guys who like the soft pillow and the robe of playing at home. And, and uh, the, other, the other great thing about at home is I, I, th- I think a lot of times uh, fighters enjoy yeah. home maybe more because everything just gets amplified. Yeah. And you really do I bring mean, the building to yeah, life. Yeah, you're Lord Savior if you hammer you're, some you're guy dilly on dilly. home ice. Yeah, <laughs> dilly dilly indeed. Hey, so, when you were in the Western League, mm-hmm. what was that like on the road? Like, yeah, I mean, that it, was dialed up, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was always oh, They hated you. Everywhere. Those hot pennies and... Uh... Hot pennies, <laughs> hot pennies, perfume guns. There were girls in behind the bench in, in, at Seattle Center Arena that had one of the greatest talents I've ever seen. One of. <laughs> I was going to say. They could write on the glass behind the bench backwards in lipstick. So they would write stuff on there. But they wrote everything backwards. So and did. I mean quickly. Yeah. So that when you turned around, it was just written like pages in a book. It's very interesting. That's right. Very talented. Were written on there through the years. But Portland was the same way. You know, you'd go into the uh, rink in Portland. It was one of the nicest around. You'd go on our prairie trip out, you know, Moose Jaw, uh, Saskatoon. You know, we finished up games when we'd be in Saskatoon with like literally three players. Yeah. That's all we had left. Wasn't that the Prince Albert days? Yeah. They were a big brawling yeah, team, they too. Had, well, they had, they had Manson and uh, Baumgartner. Everybody to protect Madonna. And they were, uh, well, he was after me, but, yeah. man, they, uh, Tony Twist, uh, you know, the, there were some frightening human beings. Uh, Regina had Stu Grimson, the Grim Reaper. We had Rudy Pocek. Uh, Are you sure you pronounced that right? What? Regina. Yes. <laughs> The Regina Pats, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I, I I agree with that. I think I think going into a foreign building, I think as a team it's great, and maybe maybe this group is starting yeah. to get that. I yeah. don't know, but individually as a player, I I love playing at home too. But you go on the road and you know that you have to be good to get, for your team to have much of a chance to win this thing, and to have people just screaming at you. Yeah. Maybe it's a little masochistic. I don't know, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then, I mean, this organization has had those Western Canada trips when they were good, had mm-hmm. those trips through California that were just, mm. they were just wonderful. I mean, when you go out there and you win three out of three on the road, it's, it really is just mm-hmm. a huge boost to your team. I think we're only entertaining ourselves here yeah, now. Yeah, you know. Uh, interlude. Would you, would you like a jelly bean? I'm going I'm <laughs> to eat the second bowl of jelly beans. Uh, after this musical interlude, we're going to come back, wrap it up with something I said we would never do on the podcast, but it's midterm Tuesday and we're going to talk politics pertaining to the national hockey league next. All right. Thanks for the wonderful countdown there. Totes. Uh, are you voting or have you voted? See, I had the, a uh, question came in on Twitter. I use the Twitter sometimes. Yeah. And uh, that sounds old when you say the Twitter. But somebody asked a very good question. And that was, do the players vote? Are, when they're on the road, how does, this, yeah. how does this happen? I don't know. How many Americans do we have? Two? Three? Three? Pitlick. Uh, Johns. Johns. And... Are you counting yourself as one of the no. Oh, uh, Connor Carrick. Hmm. All right, there you go. So uh, I haven't had an opportunity to talk to any of them about whether yeah. they're voting or how they're voting or what's going on. But there's a midterm election on, on Tuesday when Rinky Dinkin gets released. Right. They're waiting to vote. To well, it would be wonderful. Dinkin. All of you that are waiting in line to cast your vote, if you have your earphones with you, you could be listening to RD5 yeah. and it'll make things go a lot Quickly, or quickerly, quickish. Anyway, uh, we we don't have much time, but I wanted to ask this: uh, with the NHL, uh, would would it be more progressive if there was a term limit on the commissioner position? Because Gary's going into twenty six yeah. years as the commissioner of the National Hockey League. It feels like it's a Supreme Court appointment at this juncture uh 
And if you look at the NBA, which I know Totsi loves to look at, that's, that's his realm. But if you look at from uh, Stern, uh, Stern to, is it Daniel Silver? Uh, Adam, 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 and Adam Silver. It, it, they, they've gone in a different direction. Yeah. They built upon what they were doing, but it feels more progressive than it ever has. Does yes. it not? Yeah. And, and I mean, he's a different guy. He clearly, Adam Silver is a different type of guy who has different beliefs. And it really is like going from the conservative to yeah. the liberal candidate. And, and it can be good. I, I think it's good. I think when you listen to the NBA coaches speak, they feel empowered to support uh, basically the liberal side of things. Whereas if you look at the NHL or the NFL, they're either conservative or they want no opinion whatsoever. So I do believe the NBA has changed a great deal in its political. And that has to come from the top, does yeah, it not? Definitely. So your answer to my question? Um, I, I could get on board with that. And then think how fun it would be to have those hearings where we're grilling the candidates and <laughs> bringing up their past and everything like that. And here's a, well, I'm not saying we have to have a congressional hearing to figure this out. I'm just asking whether... Term limits. Yeah. Yeah. I, what would it be? How many years? And then turn it over with fresh ideas. Eight? Yeah. I don't that sounds think about right. Yeah, I think that's You're going right. with... Same as presidential, uh, you go two, with yeah, commissioner. Two. Yeah, go with the commissioner and and then flip it over and you know the uh, uh, Bill Daly could run if he wanted to, but there you know you could also bring in a wild card from outside yeah. and say this guy has these ideas and let's look at what he's doing. The players could have could yeah have theirs. Think about that, a players commissioner. That you, would be interesting. Do you follow Ian Walsh at all? No, on Twitter, one of the. Uh, agents out there is very active on Twitter. He had a, he had a humorous quote, tweet about Gary Bettman, who was saying something about uh, the perspective Olympics and involvement of the National Hockey League in the future. And he said, it's just to shut the league down and do that is terribly disruptive to the National Hockey League. <laughs> so a player agent, of course, leaped in from the NHLPA perspective and go, wrote, do you know what's really disruptive to the National Hockey League in their seasons? Lockouts. <laughs> and then he wrote it about three or four times. So anyway. He's right. He is right. And what's disruptive to everyone's week is an addition of rinky-dinking. And we've gone through one bowl of our individually wrapped jelly beans. We're going to finish the other uh, while we sign off. From the boardroom in Beantown. Till next time, I'm Daryl Ray. I'm Mike Heike. He's Jeff Totes. And for Tom Holy, that's rinky-dinking for another week. See you next week, gang.